welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Nadine Artemis. Nadine is a beauty philosopher. She's an aromacologist. She is an author and the founder of Living Libations, which is a luxury line of organic, wild-crafted, non-GMO botanical serums, elixirs, and essential oils. Her products are not a word of a lie, beyond, just amazing. Today, we are talking about sun health. And in our previous episode, which was episode 90, we talked about holistic dental care. If you have any interest in keeping your mouth healthy without a lot of the toxic things that we're exposed to, you're going to want to check out that episode. But in this episode, it's about sun health. And what we're talking about here is really how do we develop a better relationship with the sun? Because as we all know, we can't live without sun. We need it. And at the same time, if we're not responsible with the sun, we get into trouble. So it's a great conversation. She's got some great solutions, great advice. And yeah, it's let's just talk all about the sun. So if you're looking to reach Nadine, you can go on her Instagram, livinglibations.com. I mean, livinglibations or on her website, livinglibations.com. They've got also an incredible newsletter. I learned so much from that newsletter. If you decide to go shopping, you can use discount code longevity and save yourself 10% off your purchase. So if you get value from this podcast, make sure that you share it with your friends and your networks. Make sure to leave us a review because that's what helps us to get seen. And we're just going to have a quick short note from one of our sponsors, and then you get to deep dive into Sun Health with Nadine Artemis. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the episode. Please remember that all of the information provided in these podcasts is for information purposes only. We are never offering treatments, cures, whatever, for any kind of disease or medical condition. Anything you hear about here is going to be intriguing. There's some research around it, but make sure that you check with your medical provider before you go off and do any of this stuff for yourself. All right. Enjoy the episode. And also, if you're looking to connect with me for any reason, with your comments, questions, whatever it may be, you can reach me through my website, which is natnidham.com, or you can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or on MeWe in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And of course, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at Natalie Nidham. Natalie is with an H between the T and the a, the second day. So thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a quick minute to thank our sponsor for this episode, Oxford HealthSpan, makers of Primadine, the only spermidine supplement that I personally use and recommend to my clients and family. Spermidine has earned a permanent spot on my longevity stack. Research has shown that spermidine positively impacts six of the nine hallmarks of aging, including protecting your DNA from damage as you age. Regular users also experience visible results after just one to three months, including better hair, skin, nails, and deeper sleep. I choose Primadine because it is the only spermidine supplement on the market that is free of any additives or excipients, while including a prebiotic to feed your own 
bacteria to make more of your own spermidine. And now Primadine also has a gluten-free version. To try Primadine, go to primadine.com and use discount code BIONAT15 to save 15% off your purchase. And now let's get back to the episode. Nadine Artemis, it is such a pleasure to have you back today. I'm so excited about this conversation. (laughs) Always a pleasure to hang with you. (laughs) Nadine Artemis, we are going to talk about one of your favorite topics, and it's absolutely one of my favorite topics today, and that is the sun. You know, I probably will have said this in the introduction that I'll record later, but we're going to rattle some feathers, shake some feathers, or I don't know what the proper expression is. Maybe we'll soothe them somehow. (laughs) Soothe them. But really, I think we're going to, in this conversation, challenge a lot of the established norms around the sun, whether it's good for us, whether it's bad for us, sun exposure. But, you know, guys, before you get all crazy, just there, there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. So I just think it's important to hear us out. And hopefully, given that we're going into summer here, I mean, probably this podcast will come out, I'm hoping sometime in June or maybe the beginning of July, at least in time for some summer, it'll be really great information for people to have. So Nadine, you've been on the podcast before. So guys, if you haven't listened to Nadine's episodes before, she we recorded a great episode on or holistic oral health a couple of months ago that got released. So I'm going to save some time here and we're not going to go deep into Nadine's story. Nadine is the quintessential biohacker. She is the founder and the chief creator at Living Libations, I think, uh, which is an internationally an incredible essential oils company. Like I said, quintessential biohacker to the core. So Nadine, let's talk about sun, shall we? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about sun. Because I feel like, you know, we've definitely been, uh, you know, lobbied into a loss of sunlight, yet I feel like there's sort of this intrinsic, intuitive uh, feeling like everybody knows they feel better when it's sunny out and when they get a little bit of sunshine. So I feel like there's that like, sort of this knowledge that comes down of like, don't do that. And yet our bodies and brains and beauty are all like, I feel good in the sun. I feel good after I've had some. So that's always like, that was sort of my journey too. You know, when I I remember being, you know, my mom always, you know, put on sunblock or the sunscreen, blah, blah, blah. And then at school, we were always trying to find a way to like, get some sunshine in, we put like tinfoil in our books, and then like, just, you know, pretend we were reading. (laughs) And, you know, roll down our uniform socks and, you know, try and get some sunshine in, just because I knew it always made me feel better. And so I definitely in my 20s, then sought to find out like, you know, what is the truth here? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think the tinfoil maybe. Yeah, that was too much. Oh, yeah. And tanning with the baby oil, not a good idea. You know, most of the listeners are probably too young to know about that. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely, you know, that what you when you say that we feel better when we get sun, I remember, I mean, I, I get to sunny climates more often now in the wintertime than I probably did as a kid growing up. But I remember many times going to a a beach holiday in the middle of the winter. And it's funny, like I would always feel like my inflammation would go down. I would almost feel like I was lost a couple of pounds. And and it's not like I was eating less or dieting or anything. It's just my, it's almost like my body was going, 
you know, and maybe it was a combination of the sun and the ocean and the grounding, like it was all of those things. Mm -hmm. But even as, you know, I would even notice like my libido would go up, like all of these things would happen. And, you know, we, you never really, and you're like, well, you know, I'm probably less stressed because I'm on vacation. And there's definitely all of those things weigh in, but doing a little bit of digging around on the sun, what it actually does for us. I think maybe we'll start the conversation with that. Like, what are the the pluses of sun exposure? And then we'll get into what does responsible sun exposure look like? <laughs> perfect, perfect. I think that, you know, talking about some of the, what the sun can do for us is really important conversation because to your point, and you make this point in your book, Renegade Beauty, you devote an entire chapter to the sun our society, we're at a point now where people are so terrified of sun exposure, like they're wearing sunglasses and hats and long sleeves and long pants. And I remember once saying to a woman, you know, like I try to get like 20 to 25 minutes of sun with no sunscreen on during the day. And she was horrified. (laughs) She was just like, oh, I never do such a thing. And I just remember looking at her going, I think you've gone a little bit too far on that, on that front. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking. Well, I think what's important to know again, like it's, I mean, we don't even have to know this. We can just feel it. I mean, the sun really is the capstone of our existence. It's, it's giving us life every day, life for the whole planet, right? We would not be living without the sun. And then if we really think about sort of our evolution really around the turn of the century was where there was a big difference in like, uh, you know, so from the 1800s to the 1900s, there was a big movement toward urban life and creating cities. And I think that was one of the bigger changes in the last hundred years where we, you know, kind of our daily day-to-day living, even less outdoors Yeah. in general, right? As things got more modernized. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then in 1902, you actually even have the Nobel Prize going to... Um, Dr. Feinzen for heliotherapy. So that's coming into the fold. And I think it's being studied then too, though, because again, people have sort of lost the sunlight and then these other diseases come up. So much of our modern diseases can be traced to a lack of vitamin D because it does so much for our bodies that that we know a lot about. And I know that we're going to be learning about for like the next hundred years mm-hmm. as the invisible invisible wavelengths of creation of sunbeams, you know, unfold, like just tell us what, as we learn more and more about it. And um, then in the 1920s, you even have like a hot Dr. Auguste Rollier sets up these hospitals in Switzerland in Lausanne to, for people to come from all over the world obviously mainly Europe to heal things like rickets, tuberculosis, wounds. And um, you can even see pictures of that online. If you Google that, Dr. Auguste Rollier, you know, look up those and you can just see, you know, people healing. And it's so, it's so beautiful because it's like this hospital setting with huge verandas. And all the beds are outside. And yeah. it's just like, oh, if that could be every hospital, right? It'd be so cool. And you've even got sort of like then 1940s, you even got Mademoiselle Cochanel saying that like outfit is complete without a tan. And then 50s start rolling where we're just like, well, really from the 40s into the 50s where chemicals just really infiltrate our lives. And that was, you know, where sunscreen got more advanced. 
And, uh, and I feel like, and then, yeah, we're sort of like, that's sort of like where we're at now. Like we're sort of a bit hungover from those few decades and that information. So it really is sort of this capstone of our existence. And then, uh, you know, there's the visible and invisible light waves. Yeah. And where I think we can, you know, we'll talk the most to sort of the violet, which is the end, the tip, because it's like the color spectrum, right? It's just like a rainbow. So the base, the first color is red, orange, yellow, blue, I mean, sorry, green, blue, indigo, violet. And so the red, infrared, near infrared, that's red. And then, which is visible, and then the the ultraviolet, the violet rays, Mm -hmm. which are the ones that will change melanin and then create a tan. So in our, in our, in Ontario, and like, I, yeah, I can't remember where the cutoff is in the States, but probably the, about the middle of the States, you definitely, you know, you're okay in California, Texas, Arizona, but as we get to the middle and then above, we don't get, you know, ultraviolet rays from about November to about mid-February, generally speaking, depending on your, on your latitude. And, but in that time, we still have the sun and the red all the beautiful of the, all the goodness from the red infrared, which is still important. So getting outside, even in the winter is a great, great thing. Um, so yeah. And there's two things here. So we, why don't we talk about the red before we go into ultraviolet and the skin and melanin, because we really want to celebrate red. The really neat thing about the red and what's uh, less known is how it relates to melatonin. So we're all very familiar with the nighttime uh, product. Hopefully we're familiar with that and production of melatonin, which is produced from the pineal gland. And then that's circulated through the blood system and it makes us sleepy. And what's important is to, you know, not be exposed to light sort of past, uh, you know, when sunset happens, because any, you know, you being exposed to light will reduce our pineal glands production of melatonin and could create less sleep, especially if that's like a a daily habit for months and years. But what what is less known, and I think is really awesome all just to to know, is that the power of the red light and just getting sun exposure, or even, so the infrared is in all things green, all things alive. So, you know, walking through Central Park, walking through a forest. So you can get the red without having being directly exposed to sunlight. So you're not just there like sunbathing. You're just outside. You're in greenery. You can get infrared that way. And what's really important about that, and again, we used to live a lot outside. I think we're about 95% of our lifestyles indoors. So we're not getting that infrared unless we have like a red light bed and we can make up for it or like a red light device. So what's important about that is there's actually a daytime production of melatonin that doesn't circulate in the blood, but is in the cell. It's a cellular production Mm -hmm. and it's an antioxidant that's more powerful than glutathione. And this intercellular production acts like a coolant for the mitochondrial action of turning energy into, uh, you know, providing to the ATP. So with that reaction, right, there is the reactive oxygen species, oxidative stress. Even if you're healthy, that process just creates oxidative stress. And so the melatonin, it doesn't circulate in the blood. It's in the cell. So you're not getting sleepy in the daytime. And then it acts as this coolant for that process. 
And that is very important for the health of our mitochondria because I think, I don't know, what I keep learning in the past decade is that it keeps going back to the health of the mitochondria, right? I just feel like all roads lead to that if we can have health in the mitochondria. So it's really important, um, you know, even forgetting about tan and sunblock and all of that right now is like getting outside on sunny days, um, direct or indirect light. And it's important to, to not wear sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Again, we need sunglasses, you know, times we want to look cool. <laughs> I'm just joking. You know, they're good headband, but also like, you know, for driving or whatever. So it's like, there are moments for it, but you don't want to be like, you know, getting all doing all your health and being like, I'm going outside for my health and then popping on sunglasses because light is very healing for the eyes. And I loved uh, Dr. Jacob Lieberman's work for that. He's, you know, he, he, I read his book, like, I think when I was 20, take off your glasses and see, which was phenomenal. And he has since written a lot about light and he's got a lot. You can tell he's spent a lot of time in the sun because he's very wise. (laughs) You can tell he's been really getting down for a number of years on light and color. So I'm really thankful for his work, but there are other um, thing, things in the eyes and I can't remember the proper scientific words, but they're cells and they're, it's not about the vision and turning, you know, about seeing, but these cells send light into the suprachiasmatic nucleus mm-hmm. and help us regulate circadian rhythms. Yeah. So that's so important, right? Even before we talk about sunning, sunbathing for a tan, is really tuning into the sun to get a grip on our rhythms, reignite our circadian rhythm. So being like, again, if you can, I mean, I, and again, this could be five, 10 minutes. If you're able to find the sunrise somewhere in that first hour, hour and a half of the day, you can look directly at the sun within that first hour. It's amazing for the eyes. Uh, and again, there's no ultraviolet at that time. And then, you know, but again, if you can get five, 10 minutes in and then sometime around noon where you're getting seen and then, and then that's actually a really powerful time. And, and the shortest, like a, you can have a really powerful short window. Like you can have less time in the sun, more impact. What am I trying to say there? Like you can maximize your moment there in the sun um, because around that time, you know, a half hour outside really can almost give you your daily dose of vitamin D. So hope maybe you can have lunch outside or something like that but if you if you can be present at noon and see that sun and again when when it's daytime you want to be looking in the direction of the sun but not at the sun but still getting that healthy information because even dr auguste rollier back in the 1920s even though they didn't have as much scientific uh, analysis back then he was like if you have sunglasses on the effect the healing rays of the sun just aren't working. So we really do need our eyes like as part of the process, which I find interesting where we also have modern information that says that and sort of older information that says that. Um, And then if you can be present somehow for sunset time, right? And just, and again, it's not sunny every day. So it's not, you know, it's something you've kind of got to look at the weather and see when you can map that out. But if you can be there in those, you know, that sort of sunrise, noon, sunset, or even catch one of those, it just really starts to like shape your life. And, um, you know, you just sort of connecting to something yeah. that's outside ourselves and ourselves. And it's really, you know, a part of that cosmic engagement. And I, I feel, as you know, from my book, Renegade Beauty, I'm really saying like, what's going to revive us 
yeah. and restore us and rejuvenate us isn't another bottle of anything, another supplement, another thing. It's finding a way first foundationally to engage with the elements, you know, to be outside, to find fresh water or, you know, obviously have baths and showers is engaging with water, which is great, but getting that fresh air and, you know, planting your feet on the earth sometimes. And I feel like the sun obviously being one of the elements is such a big one. I, so I feel like that's, yes, how we can use sun sort of to guide us and get back into some kind of circadian rhythm. You know, I'm, it's so much of what you said resonates. Like I know that with clients who have trouble with sleeping, one of the first things that I talk to them about is getting outside first thing in the morning. It's, you know, I talk about it as getting information. It's, it's kind of how your brain gets oriented with the day. It, this is, yeah. It the brain about what time it is, where it is, it's going to impact because you start making that melatonin first thing in the morning. That's when your sleep in, in many ways, your sleep hygiene starts in the morning. But the other thing that I talk to people about is it doesn't have to be full sun. Like even on a cloudy day, I mean, granted, we, we've all seen those dark, dreary days where there's little sun coming through. Even that Somebody out there would say, no, actually, there's definitely some rays making it through. But even on an overnight day like we're having today, you're still going to get a lot of those information rays coming through the sun. Not to mention that I would guess that many people, and I've experienced this, you can get sunburned on a, on a cloudy day, big time. Absolutely. Yeah. But we can't, we can't dismiss, I think, your point about getting outside in nature and, frankly, for me, sunglasses are a thing of the past. I think I have air in my car on the off chance that I'm driving into a sunset at some point. And I literally, yeah. but I've saved thousands of dollars over the last 10 years. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I just kept losing them anyway. So. Yeah, I've literally had like the same pair of sunglasses like for 20 years and they're hard to find, you know, they come out once a year or something when I'm driving. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think great points about the light. Thank you. I oh, also, and then just as a, just you made me think, because the sunglasses and eyes, it's like really when we're, when we can, you know, absorb more light. So e even when you're seeing the sun rise and set, you may have to like cover an eye mm -hmm. and, and so you can really absorb it fully. But the more light we can absorb is it actually going to help with things like crow's feet. Because you don't want to be squinting with light. Like, obviously, there's moments or like, you know, the sun's blasting right at you. But like some people like just to walk out their door, it's like, whoa, even on a cloudy day because they've been at their computers. Mm -hmm. So we need our eyes to be able to handle light and, you know, and and be friendly with light. So it's great for the development of kids eyes as well. So they got to get outside. Yeah. Yeah, little babies with sunglasses on. I mean, yeah, it's cute. And usually they're pretty poor quality on top of that, which is another thing, right? Poor quality sunglasses, a lot like poor quality sunscreen, which we'll get into later, will end up doing more harm than good. So if you are going to use sunglasses, making sure that they're the right kind. And if you're going to put small child, please <laughs> make sure going to have to spend the money, unfortunately, and maybe it would be better just not to. <laughs> so let's move on. So definitely, so light during the day, this is the benefits of the red, the ultraviolet rays in 
setting circadian rhythm, adapt, helping the body to adapt to light. I've definitely spoken to people who've told me I can't be outside without sunglasses because it hurts my eyes. And so what you're saying in a case like that is to gradually build up your tolerance, but do it in that very beginning of the day and very end of the day when the rays are not going to be as challenging to your eyes. Yes. And then in the daytime, look in the direction of the sun. So not, but don't look at it, but don't, you know, cause that will help your eyes as well. So just look, you know, somewhere towards it. So it's like there, you're not, so you don't have your back to it. Mm-hmm. That's going to help too. Right. Just let the light in. <laughs> let the sunshine in. Yeah. So really interesting stuff in the, in your chapter about, and I don't know if you're ready to jump to this yet, but sure, yeah. I mean, there's definitely the, the whole discussion around blue light, right? So, yeah. and it's funny, I think of blue light sometimes as omega-6, right? Omega-6 gets demonized, blue light gets demonized, but the truth is there's some beneficial blue light and there's some beneficial omega-6 fatty acids, which we're actually going to get into that discussion later. But for the blue light, you know, again, you're going to get that blue spectrum during the day, like around the high noon, which is yeah. very different than the blue light you're getting from the artificial overhead lights in your office, especially the the fluorescence coming in off your computer. So maybe we want to talk about the blue light just a little bit as well. Yeah, it's true. Like, yeah. And it's been, you know, there's ways you can use blue light for healing. We actually will have this like um, mouth light coming out in a, you know, maybe by the fall, it will have, you know, option for red light, blue light, and both lights. And the blue light, when you use it with the toothpaste will help whiten it will have white in your teeth. The red lights are good for bacteria. So that'll yeah. be a fun little thing, right? Yeah. And, but get that blue light during the day, but we were never designed to really be, you know, staring at our little iPhones of blue light in the middle of the night, for sure. That's going to disturb circadian rhythms. And you know what, uh, when I redes- if I have to redesign a place or a house, what I'm for sure going to be doing is adding a, a, a set of light or like a light switch that goes to red light so that at night, we could just flip a switch and red light would come on. And these past few months, even been trying to like, especially it's easier now because the, the light, it's light out till about nine o'clock, but yeah. really finishing with light and then like not needing light once it's dark out. And, you know, and if I have to, then I'll use my blue blockers or whatever. And I have my iPhone set at um, night shift, yeah. 24 hours a day. Nice. And I think that's important too. And I've told a few people about that and they don't get headaches now in the day because even in the daytime, that is such, it's such a bright, strange light, mm-hmm. you know, when it's not on night shift and I just turn it off if I'm editing a photo or something so I can get that true color. But we want to, you know, you want to do that or you want to have like flux on your computer. We definitely want to, you know, take out blue light from our devices because I think we're on them a lot. And even in the daytime, I think it's good to filter that out. I agree. Uh, don't have to worry about the blue light, you know, in your light bulbs and all of that during the day, that's totally fine. And then if you do have, you know, maybe you get like a night light, if the lights lower in your home and uh, you know, like a low lux, then that's good that as a nightlight or something, but just keep it low. And then also, you know, there are clocks or clocks. I don't know if they're clocks. They're light things that you can time. There's a dawn light that really will create gradual light in your room. And it yeah, really helps with seasonal affective disorder. And, uh, you know, it's a certain amount of lux, it, but it's very effective in like cheering up. So if you get 15, 20 minutes of that a day, it really helps. And that could be, you know, what wakes you up in the morning 
and just stay near that for like 15, 20 minutes. It's very helpful. So we can really be using light is as our friend and to heal us. And I think when we work with it, we can, you know, rather than using things that are sort of in, impeding our health, there's so much we can do with light and sunlight that really help us get that deeper foundation. Yeah, no, I love that. And one thing about the nightlight is what I have is a, um, I have a little salt lamp nightlight. Oh, nice. What I've been looking for, and I haven't found it yet, I want to find a red bulb to put in there because your nightlight could be a red light. It sounds weird when you talk, tell people, but at the same time, like do, the, do an experiment, use a red light as a nightlight. So when you go, if you have to go to the bathroom in the night and notice how much faster you fall back asleep, like no, notice oh, yeah. your eyes and your system when you're exposed to red instead of that white light. Yeah. Even if, if for some reason I wake up in the night and I have to check what time it is, I put my blue blockers on for that one second of <laughs> me too like, yeah for the blue blockers guy. it helps it totally does okay so let's go back to vitamin so the sun and d like sun skin vitamin d and i think one of the ways to start this really is to talk about what does vitamin d do for our body like it's so important i mean people think of i gotta have vitamin d especially over the last two years all the noise and the mayhem definitely the message that being vitamin D deficient was at the very least a negative if you did catch COVID, right? Like, I mean, having high vitamin D levels, we're going to protect you or not. Definitely being vitamin D deficient. There are a number of papers out there now that have shown that people who were. Yes. And there are thousands of studies that just show if you are sufficient vitamin D, like all these things happen or, you know what I mean? So, and I've, I've been really you know, talking about vitamin D because of my research for over a decade, like I've really been thinking about D in many ways, but I've got to say like every year, it just seems like there's more and more reason to take it. And I really, even in the last three months, I've just learned even more how we just completely need to be sufficient in vitamin D on a daily basis, or, you know, the shit starts to hit the fan, so to speak. Even some like TMJ or bruxism, really root cause, most likely not sufficient in vitamin D. Really? If your vitamin D is sufficient, your risk of breast cancer is slashed by 50%. Wow. That's like more than giving up alcohol. I think that's like about 15%. So I really feel like we probably could have margaritas and be in the sun. <laughs> Maybe that's the place to have the margarita. I think that's the plan, right? Number one cause of juvenile diabetes is insufficient vitamin D in the pregnant mama. So it's like the D story comes from everywhere. And uh, Ryan from True Diagnostics, who you've had on your podcast, yeah. he explained to me that being sufficient in vitamin D seems to also uh, affect the telomeres. And that if you're sufficient in vitamin D, it seems to add a, you know, an easy 18 months to your lifespan. Incredible. Or take off or make you like 18 months younger or something, something really good about 18 months. <laughs> yeah. can't remember. I think it's adding to the lifespan. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I feel like it comes in from everywhere, our understanding of it. And so, you know, often then it'll be like, great, I'll just vitamin D supplements. And then I don't have to be in the sun because we're so afraid of the sun because we don't want to have wrinkles. So I think that's, that's the real crux of it. Yeah. But from what I've studied and what I'm looking at, it seems like our skin was completely designed to be exposed to the sun. 
We've got thousands of vitamin D receptors all over our body and they need to be brimming with vitamin D and vitamin D that is created when our skin connects with sunbeams is completely different than the supplemental fat soluble vitamin D, which is key. But when the, the sun and skin make a water soluble form of vitamin D that creates a very healthy and essential cholesterol sulfate. And so, and it's not even a vitamin, quite frankly, it's a hormone. Yeah. It's literally a hormone. And so it really actually is, is creating like this internal lubrication that is so essential for the body to function. And then also when our skin is exposed as sun to sun, we're also creating things like our own antimicrobial peptides, catholicidins, catholicidins like LL37 are created from our time in the sun. Yeah. I know that you and your people are familiar with the LL37 peptide, which yeah. is great for many things, including gut healing. So we can also boost that because um, when we use that naturally with the sun too, that will help things like preventing things like cytokine storms in the body. When we don't have our vitamin D receptors filled with vitamin D, these things called bacterial lingons can come in. To me, it's kind of like, you know, it felt like if somebody was going to rob a building, like all they would have to do is like, just turn off that main switch. That's what these bacterial lingons do. If they get a grip into the vitamin D receptors, it's like they can just sort of shut down the whole immune system. And so it's really neat as I feel like now we have this sort of modern knowledge about the sun that is showing us why like a hundred years ago, Dr. Auguste Grolier was able to, you know, clear and heal diseases. Mm -hmm. And also being in the sun like that too, also cleanses the blood. Yeah. And it's a fun, you know, so it's a fun way to be engaging with life. It's funny because now we live, we're living in a society that spray on tans with like dimethyl, I forget what it's called, but it's a complete chemical. You know, we're trying to heal acne with things like benzoyl peroxide or eczema and all that. And all of that can be really cleared up in the sun or learning how to like engage with the sun properly so that we can build a healthy melanin base layer. And uh, we want to think of our bodies and our skin like solar uh, batteries sort of, right? And so we want to use the, the sun time. I mean, some people are lucky and there's always sun the closer they are to the equator. But you know, for me, especially in North America, we're you know, building up in the spring Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, and then you want to build it up so that by November, well, cause it's getting less and less by October, November, and that you can kind of get some buildup in that melanin layer to take you through the winter, although it never seems to last. So no. I always, you know, I'm always supplementing with it, but one of the really good things to do and to really get to know your D levels, because it isn't something that you can just check at the doctor and get that. And then think your D level is going to be the same three months later or a year later. So it's, it's something that also then, you know, and then I don't like to depend on a doctor for that too. Cause in the sense that, you know, I just want to be like dependent and not worry about an appointment to know something about my body. And so I find what's really useful is the D minder app. Yeah. It was created by a group of very passionate vitamin D doctors. And, you know, it'll take into account your longitude, your latitude, you put in your skin type. There's like a, uh, this Fitzpatrick measurement. So you just like, you know, if you're like sort of the redhead from Ireland or like Mediterranean man from Greece, there's like different, obviously different skin tones, which affects your vitamin D. So the deeper your skin color, 
the more vitamin D you're going to need. And also if your weight is above average, then you will also need more vitamin D because uh, there's just more for it to penetrate and the body is just going to need more. So I think that's a good thing to know because maybe some people, you know, might be struggling as to why their vitamin D levels aren't higher, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So then you put it, yeah. So it takes your longitude and latitude into account. So it knows the strength of the sun. And for example, the D minder app, you know, let me know exactly when the sun, the vitamin, the ultraviolet rays were coming back to our area in February. So that's when I start again, I'll just open my doors, you know, I have my like a little uh, bean bag that I'll sit on. And then, um, you know, there's five feet of snow all around me, but I've got the rays and it just feels so good to, but in February to connect with the sun again. And then I'm slowly, but surely building up, uh, you know, that base layer as the sun is getting stronger. And, you know, by July, I just got, you know, a good solid base layer um, that I can, you know, not be getting burnt with. And I've had so many families and, or just, you know, people that like an Australian family, I'm thinking about specifically right now, they did it, they started in their, in their spring. And then they were like, you know, not needing sunscreen by the summer because they built up that layer. Mm-hmm. And so it, so when you're, so you, you start your sun session with the D minder app, when you're in the sun, you you'd also say how much of your body is exposed. And then it will literally tell you how much vitamin D you're creating, how long you need to be in the sun. And generally it's like that vitamin D window is the right amount of time to be in the sun. I mean, that being said, maybe if you are that redheaded Irish person, you will need to work your way into that more slowly, mm-hmm. but that it gives you that daily dose. So, you know, and then if you have a supplement, you can add that in uh, at any time. And so you have this running record of your vitamin D levels which is awesome. You yeah. can either start at zero or, you know, I'm, although I'm sure everybody has a little tiny bit, or you can go to the doctor, that blood test, and then literally put in your results. Mm-hmm. That way you're tracking and you know, because we really don't want to let vitamin D get insufficient because I think that it really does show from tests and studies that we've done this test virus and things before this even happened it really does show that once you dip in your vitamin D levels, you're very susceptible to, you know, catching a cold, catching a virus. And it's like, is there a cold and flu season or is there a sunlight vitamin D deficiency season? For sure. For sure. And I think with the, the vitamin D, is, it's such an interesting topic because even understanding your genetics gives you some indication. And I don't know if D-Minder actually takes that into account because, you know, as someone from Medi- of Mediterranean descent, I convert vitamin D much more slowly from sunlight than someone from like a climate where there's less sun. Yes. I think in a way it does because it is asked either this Patrick scale, yeah. which is take into account a bit of your criteria. So I think as much as like an app can kind of have those nuances, I think it's pretty good. And then the other thing that's interesting is that, again, looking at genetics, I'm a person who doesn't clear activated vitamin D as quickly as the next person. So there's some kind of uh, mechanism built in there. And one thing for, for people to bear in mind is that what we're measuring when we're measuring blood levels, when your doctor's measuring your vitamin D levels, they're measuring the 25-OH, which is the inactive form of vitamin D. What they're not measuring is the active form of vitamin D in your body, which is the 125 OH. 
And in someone like me, with that genetic polymorphism, I really need to be measuring the 125 because I could be getting my 25 OH could be showing low, but my 125 might actually be quite high. And there yeah. is a degree of toxicity with vitamin D that we don't want to exceed. So I think it's really important for people to understand that. The, I mean, first of all, the vitamin, the D-Minder app is fantastic because it's a really great place to start. But if you've ever looked at your genetics, then it can add a little extra nuance to the conversation. And maybe you're one of these people that needs to pay a little bit more attention to that back end of the pathway, because it's really when we're D that we're making the LL37, <laughs> the antimicrobial effects of vitamin D come into play, which is where, you know, people who are sitting there trying to make the connection between vitamin D and staying healthy and not getting the flu, whatever the flu may be. It's that pathway, it's that production of that antimicrobial element. But then the other big piece we were talking about before, and Dr. Rollier figured this out, is the children with rickets. So this is a bone disease. So vitamin D is critical to bone health. Critical. Yes. And therefore teeth health, tooth health, whatever, because because yeah. our teeth are bones, right? Also, uh, I talk about it in my book, but in it's like spring, like March, for example, there is so many more diagnoses of disease and cavity. Because again, most people have then been like three, four months without any vitamin D production. So that's like just sort of showing you how essential it is for our health. I also feel, you know, what's good too, is like that when you're with it in the sun and getting your vitamin D too, the absorption is different. So some people, if there's gut issues or absorption issues, this is a good way to to balance that out. And I do just want to just hear if you really have like a, just such low, low levels, a good thing to kind of get the system going is to visit like a naturopath or a doctor, a functional medicine doctor that could give a vitamin D injection. Mm -hmm. Um, because you want to make sure that that reserve in the kidneys is, is just sort of stocked up. So that could be, you know, if you're finding, you know, cause just taking that 5,000 IU a day might not sort of give you that edge where you got to get that baseline up. Right. And also the vitamin D toxicity is interesting, but it does seem like it, it, it was from a very old test that has sort of been de- debunked. Yeah. So it does seem, you know, general, you know, the recommendations also to be able to, you can be a bit higher than what was recommended, like easily 5,000 to 10,000 IU a day seems to be very respectable because also what you can generate, you know, being in the sun is quite high and the body seems to denature what it doesn't need. Yeah. You know, so that's good too. Like it is, I think, hard to get too, too much. Mm -hmm. I think in our current situation, obviously if you're by the equator or something, that's a different story. Folks, I have something so exciting to tell you, and that is that the Women's Longevity and Resilience Retreat is happening again, and it is happening this November from the 9th to the 13th in Cabarete on the beach in the Dominican Republic, and it is shaping up to be just as awesome 
as the first one was in March. The response from the participants was just overwhelmingly amazing. We had such an amazing time hosting it. And so Dasha and I decided that we wouldn't wait a year for the second one. We would do one in the fall to get us ourselves and our participants ready for the winter, no matter what it brings. So if this sounds even of any interest to you, please go to my website, natnidham.com, go to the retreats tab at the top of the page, and you'll get a bunch of information there, along with a link to book a free call with Dasha and I to see if this is right for you. So thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay. So let's talk because at this point, the audience is hanging on a thread and they're like, okay, you're they're not with us because they're like, yeah, but what about wrinkles and aging and sunspots and all that horrible stuff? So I do want to recap that one of the One of the things we're talking about here is number one, we're building a sun callus. So we're exposing our skin to sun in the very early hours of the day and in much later hours of the day, like closer to sunset. So around sunrise, around sunset. And in the middle of the day, it's going to be a very short period of time, like maybe 20 minutes to half an hour. I think in the beginning, but you can have it longer once you've built up your, your melanin and all that. And the, the difference is when I was growing up, you know, my mom was always like, don't we in the sun from like 10 till three or something. Yeah, still. But really you want it. What's good is the morning sun up until solar noon. Okay. So right now, solar noon for us in Ontario is like closer to one 30. Mm-hmm. It's going to get close to one as we get into the summer. And um, so I love that morning sun. If I want to have like a longer time in the sun for me, like, you know, sort of that nine to noon, because in that nine to 10 is not a lot of D production. Like right now I was, I put on my D minder app, like nine, nine to nine 30 right now. So it's like May. And that was only like 5% of my vitamin D production for the day, even though it was a beautiful, felt very, it felt very warm, but it was, it was weak on the D. So if I really was like, you know, needed to can't spend all morning out in the sun, then I would want to do like 1230 to one right now to really get that, have that half hour, you know, deliver the D for the day. So it's interesting. That's what the fun things you can start sort of getting used to with the D minder app, but really you are good up until that time. And really, if you need to get vitamin D in the afternoon, I mean, go for it. And then also anything I'm saying, I mean, you could also just And also when I'm tanning my face, it's definitely not out as long as the rest of my body. Okay. Usually I'm giving my face like, you know, 15, 20 minutes and then I'll hat or like whatever, get my, you know, and then take my head out. It's also like just, you know, your head literally gets hot and stuff too. Mm -hmm. Or literally never tan your face and try everything else. If it's really that fearful for you, what we're actually seeing. And cause I'm in, I mean, my whole companies about skincare, right? So, you know, obviously very, it's a big topic for me. And I'm, you know, my whole life is about understanding wrinkles and, and things like that. But what, where, when I, when I studied this, where the wrinkles are coming from, because it kind of takes two to tango. So I think of it as like, when we're sunbathing, and when we're engaging with the sun, it's a relationship, right? It's like you and the sun. It's not like the sun is just doing things to you. There's an engagement there. So, you know, are you cooking with Pam and Missoula on your body and in your body? Or are you like being engaged with the sun with like coconut olive oil, like eating those good fats? It seemed when I looked at studies from the, I think it was the Los Angeles Institute of Plastic Surgery. And what they found to be the number one cause of like wrinkles and aging was polyunsaturated fatty acids. 
creating hyperpigmentation and melasma and creating about 70% of people that had more than 20% of that in their diets to be looking about a decade older than they were. Wow. And so by polyunsaturated fatty acids, what we're talking about guys here, these people call them PUFAs. These are omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids, but what they're talking about here really is the toxic seed oils. It's the damaged omega-6s and frankly- Mazzola, canola, soy- Yeah. You know, the big industry oils. Exactly. And I think that most of us will agree that the healthiest fats are going to be more saturated quite often. I mean, it doesn't mean you need a ton, you don't need buckets of fat, but we do need like, like the egg yolk that's not fully cooked, that's not cooked through, even ghee, butter, coconut oil that you mentioned earlier, good quality extra virgin olive oil. Again, that not that you're using to deep fry, because even those really good oils can get damaged by high heat. So, you know, like I will look at my skin and say, man, like I've got a ton of sun damage. And we talked about this earlier, like, you know, I was a lifeguard. So I was out for full days from morning until night and didn't necessarily use a whole lot of sunscreen. Plus chlorine. When we're engaging with chlorine in the sun, there is a recipe for, for sun damage, you know, coca, being in the sun and drinking Coca-Cola. So there's things we can do. Let's talk about sunscreen and then things we can do internally as well. And then here's the thing with sunscreen. So we're all applying it and thinking that's what's going to keep us wrinkle free. And that ain't the story here. So whether we're, you know, when we're looking at even um, Cochrane Reviews, which is um, a medical board, I believe a medical something where they look at studies and then they'll pool those studies and then make a study of the studies. So they did one where they're looking at 14 sunscreen studies. And what they found was that the use of sun created more moles, freckles, and more incidences of uh, skin disease. So that's not so good. And then, oh, one of my favorite doctors is Dr. Bernard Ackerman. He's the founding father of dermatopathology, which is uh, sort of a little more serious than dermatology. It's Mm -hmm. the study of skin and diseases to just more of an extent than dermatology. And he was just such a huge advocate for engaging with the sun. And he wrote a book. It's about the myth of sun and melanoma, like a whole beautiful book. It's hard to find, but it's, it's well worth it. Dr. Bernard Ackerman. Oh, Ackerman. Okay. I'm just going to write it down and we'll try and dig it up for the show notes. We can link. Yeah, for sure. We can link that. Anyway, brilliant book. I, it's so fascinating because he goes right into like all the myths surrounding melanoma. And then also we can look at other studies. Like uh, there was one from the Lancet. It was actually in the nineties and it, it showed that more ca- melanoma occurs with the least, like less exposure to sunlight, more exposure to artificial light. Mm-hmm. And that people that spent more time outside, either recreationally or for work, or if they live closer to the equator, there was less um, chance of developing melanoma, which is definitely different than what we hear today. And I also find that fascinating because that study was in the 90s. And that was before we basically, you know, were looking at screens all day. Mm-hmm. So now we're like every job is seems to be related to a computer, right? Yeah. So it's just... It doesn't sun exposure doesn't necessarily equate to disease, but definitely a lack of vitamin D does equate to the development of disease because you're downregulating gene expression there. And then the other fascinating thing is through the use of sunscreens, 
So the Cochrane study is showing that they're creating more freckles, more moles, more skin imbalances. And how we can now understand that, understanding that sunscreen, that's things like with SPF factors, what's happening is you are not receiving both the ultraviolet uh, partner, like the UVA and UVB together, these sort of ultraviolet partners. When we apply sunscreen, we are then just receiving UVA. Mm-hmm. So UVA isolated on its own without UVB is, can be skin damaging. And then we're not getting the UVB, which is the vitamin D generator. So sunscreens are creating more UVB for skin damage and you're not getting the vitamin D. So there's not much point because you want to be in the sun getting that vitamin D. That's the whole point. Right. Besides the infrared. I think the other point that you make in the book that was really interesting about the disassociation of the UVA and UVB is that you're allowing longer exposure to sun with that. Like, I think what the missing piece here is that melanin is protective and yes, melanin coming up, the sunburn is a warning sign to get the hell out of the sun. So now you're able exactly. to spend more time in the sun and you're damaging different layers of skin. You're damaging the DNA in a different way because it's almost like it's turned off the alarm. And so you've just got, and you're just able to get more exposure to these disassociated UV, the UVA, UVB disassociation, which creates a greater opportunity for damage in a different way, which doesn't even touch on, and I think we should touch on this, the toxic ingredients in sunscreens that actually themselves, although they're not carcinogenic in a lab, when you've exposed them to sun, and this is the thing that kind of blows my mind. I mean, I'd read it before, when I read it in your book, I was like, are you kidding me? Like there are <laughs> ingredients in sunscreen that are used that are- that Oxybenzene. Oxybenzene that become carcinogenic when it is exposed to sunlight. And guys, like that fact alone, I think should be put up on billboards and bus boards and it should be blasted through the universe because. Oh yeah. And they're trying to do the right thing. And meanwhile, you know, I just feel like eventually most chemicals, we just find out, you know, that they're not so good. So it's like, let's try and live without them. Um, The oxybenzene is banned in Europe, but it's like everywhere else pretty much as a main of the real active ingredients in sunscreen. It is banned, I believe, in Australia and Hawaii now, which is great because they want to preserve the coral reefs. So not only is the damage happening to our bodies, it's effect like and that ingredient um, is the is that one that really does become carcinogenic when exposed to sunlight. And then there's just a slew of others that you know affect the liver, affect potential fertility. The Hawaii and Australia are seeing how it's making a skeleton of the coral reefs. Mm-hmm. We don't want that either. It's bleaching them. It's bleaching them. There's actually a really good resource, you guys. We're going to give you some other solutions, obviously. But if you insist on buying commercial sunscreens, there mm-hmm. is the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, does publish every year in their Skin Deep database a review of the sunscreens, and they rank them based on toxic ingredients. I mean, I don't know if their, their uh, filter would meet your standards, Nadine. <laughs> But at least it would kind of parse out some of the worst players. I think sunscreen can be really simple. And it's not like I want to turn, you know, the information in this episode, like Nadine does make a sunscreen and she does sell it through her website. So sunscreen is just for SPF. 
and it has to be have chemicals in it. And of course, I'm not using chemicals. So I have a we have a sun oil. I call it a sun harmonizer. Yeah. It can like it's called everybody loves the sunshine and it can extend your time in the sun. But I mean, for that redheaded Irish person, it might just be an extra 10 minutes. For you, it could be a whole other hour, but I call it a sun harmonizer. I'm working with pigmented plants and beautiful oils and botanicals that have shown to also, you know, heal from the skin damage from the sun, extend the time in the sun, be that pigment. But there's no botanical that actually has an SPF because that is solely regulated by the FDA for chemicals. But there's sort of like, you know, even olive oil and coconut kind of, we can co co correlate that it's like an SPF of a six or an eight. So right. if you just even take olive oil, you do have just that a little, you can extend your time in the sun a little bit more. And then zinc is a sunblock. Yeah. So we don't make a sunscreen. We either have the sun harmonizing tanning oil, or we have this um, meaning that it will help you get a tan, not that it tans you without the sun. And then we have like a sunblock, which zinc works. And of course we use a, a you know, very clean, non-coated, non-nanoized zinc. And what zinc does is it deflects the rays. So the rays just sort of bounce off you. That's what you can use, you know, if you've got to like surf, surf in Maui for a few hours, but you know, but you can't be wearing clothes. But then I say, other than that, like, you know, look into hats or like cotton shirts, that kind of thing. Yeah. When you're done, you're sunbathing. So you can still enjoy the sun and get that beauty from the, the red rays. Yeah. I have, a, I have a story about your zinc stick, actually. We were able to gift it to all the women who came on our retreat. Oh, in great. March. Thanks to Living Libations. You guys were a sponsor of the event. Thank you very much. And uh, our pleasure. I went horseback riding with a bunch of women, women who came on the ride. I don't know what happened, but she basically, she applied the zinc to one arm and she forgot to put it on the other arm. Oops. We were on a horseback ride for three hours. And it was, you know, from 11 till two. And she was amazed that the one arm was untouched. Or maybe she just missed a bunch of spots. But basically, she just had these crazy burns wherever she applied the zinc. So it was pretty amazing to see. Like, you don't expect, you, you never know, right? I mean, in the days when I did you. Well, yeah, you, you think you need chemicals, right? To have things work. Sometimes there's that. Yeah. So it was pretty remarkable how effective that block is and also how light it is when you apply it. A lot of zincs, you put them on and you look like a ghost. <laughs> so it's Yeah. We really worked on that. So it could be, yeah, as non-whitening as possible. Okay. So let's keep going. Let's talk because in your book, you also talk about some of the oils and I, you know, we were trying to think earlier, I said there was a peptide I'd come across that reduced carcinoma. Like I remember it was melanoma. But there's a couple of essential oils that have been shown in studies to reduce. And I mean, guys, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying if you have one of these things, you should just slather on the oil. But was it frankincense or there was? Yeah, sandalwood, frankincense and geranium have all showed to be, you know, be able to kind of bring back balance to, to areas where the cells sort of might have gotten out of control and skin level. I mean, you know, like there are like studies for sandalwood and skin cancer that are very promising. Same yeah. geranium. We have all of that and everybody loves the sunshine, plus beautiful pigmented oils like sea buckthorn and calendula, which also, you know, work with that melanocyte layer. There's also, I write about in the book, like we have an internal SPF as well. 
So there are, you know, studies that show that foods that help. Um, so obviously the, the pigmented foods, like the red algae is beautiful. And then one of my favorite things, one of your favorite things is the primidine spermidine. Yeah. And uh, because that, I mean, I would, I, I will at some point, but I'll talk to Leslie, but I really want to go into the studies that talk about how it really works with um, healing the melanocyte layer. Cause I find that fascinating because that's where the melanin happens. That's where, you know, with the dysbiosis, uh, melanoma is in that melano is in that melanocyte layer. Yeah. So it's all connected. And then interestingly too, we've got melatonin, which actually helps uh, prevent sunburns. And then there's also even melanotan, which is a peptide yeah. um, that actually, you know, makes you have a tan. So there's all these really neat things that can also work that we can use to help tanning. So I think, you know, and there's the new primidine that's also made out of the chlorella, the gluten-free one. So you've got that beautiful pigment of the green, which is great. Even drinking water with chlorella, I mean, uh, with like a drop of chlorophyll in it while you're in the sun is really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting green while you're in the sun is, is really good. So what was really cool, I found, because I started taking the primidine spermidine last February just started to get back into the sunshine and besides all it's just amazing on so many levels but I was really fascinated with how it would also made my skin smoother which I didn't know was possible because you know I've been doused in living libations for about 30 years so I got I do have smooth skin <laughs> but it got smoother but then I found um again I didn't you know was never an issue but I definitely had just more freckling on my chest from those tan tanning days in my teens with like baby oil and tin foil and uh you know getting burnt a few times with blisters but what was really neat is like as i'm you know tanning through the spring the uh the freckles on my chest are like fading and fading so i just got to sort of feel and see firsthand how the spermidine really seems to just to balance something deep within the melanocyte layer have you found anything like that? Well, it protects DNA, right? Like if you look at its mechanisms of actions, it's protective to DNA. And in, I think it helps to repair DNA. It also helps to protect proteins for, in, in terms of it helps to, what does it do? It addresses misfolded proteins at a cellular and at a gene level, like an epigenetic level. I think that it can only help. And I'm with you, like with spermidine, I guess now it was December of 2020, maybe when I first interviewed Leslie. I'm so glad you did. Yeah, no, me too. It's amazing to me, like all the reviews, all the inform- all the feedback we get back from people who are getting such great results, whether it's their sleep or their skin or their hair. And then like we talk about, it's all the under the hood stuff that's going on that we don't necessarily notice, but maybe, you know, noticing that the skin damage, I mean, for me, I think I have so much skin damage from so many years. And, you know, they talk about the skin damage that comes up for you in your fifties. You didn't do in your forties or your thirties, like this is from your twenties. Right. So, and I didn't really actively start doing anything to repair it until maybe the last few years. So maybe in a few more years, I'll have more to report, but uh, I think most, for the most, yeah. And since I've really d- done into like, just really understanding, like being in the sun and sunbathing, which has been in the last, you know, 15 years, and then even, you know, getting more serious, I feel like each year and now it's just such a non-negotiable. I've got to say like nothing sun damaging has happened to my skin. I feel like 
it was the previous stuff that, you know what I mean? That did things. And I feel like, you know, I'm actually undoing things, you know, from my childhood. So I don't know if that helps people just feel a little more relaxed about being in the sun because there's a deeper balance that's going on. But I was just wanted to mention on a side note. Yeah. Cause it's, there's a deep under the hood stuff happening with the primidine spermidine. But, and the side effects, so to speak, are just so awesome. Like the good skin, shiny hair. And uh, just, I take a moment to say like, my lashes have doubled, which I know we've talked about before, but just sort of one of the other benefits of it. It's super fun. Um, I thought we could also talk about Melana Tan. Yes. Which isn't something to talk about too much, but I know that, you know, uh, your audience would be ripe for this. You know, maybe you want to describe the peptide first. Yeah, so melanotan is an alpha MSH peptide. And one of the things that it does, it does a lot of different things, but it's real claim to fame. It's called by many people, the Barbie doll peptide. And that is because it's been used by Bar- by Barbies. By Malibu Barbie herself. <laughs> Use it to tan competition. So one of the, the things that it does is it upregulates the expression of melanin in your skin so that it basically gives you, makes you look like you're tanned because you are. It can work when you're outside of the sun over time. But what I found is tiny amounts of melanotan. And if, if I go to the sun for 10 minutes, boom, like it, it accelerates my tan by a thousand fold. It's, it's quite crazy. Don't forget that melanin is protective to your skin. So it does offer, doesn't mean you get to lay out forever and, and not have consequences, but it does offer a level of protection to sun exposure. It also helps to thicken the skin. So it reduces the appearance of wrinkles and is more protective as well. For our purposes, the melanotan too, for the sun, and you don't need very much, I think it's a really interesting strategy to layer in with all of these other things that we're talking about here. Yes. And what I think the one drawback that kind of makes it less than perfect for the skin tone is that it will darken any freckle or mole you have. Yep. And that's sort of the, like, Oh, the trade-off. However, I think I found, I definitely don't inject it. And what I found is, and it does help too. Yeah. So if you do it before you sun or the time you're going to do it, kind of have, you know, a sun moment uh, in your future that day. But I found what I do is, I, I, I mean, I'd love to use it for all of its healing properties, but I dilute it um, double to what you would do for an injection. And then and I use the sodium chloride to reconstitute it. And then I put it in a nose, yes. a, a nose spray bottle. And what is that called? Nasal spray bottle. And it's also, it's already like more diluted. It's in the bottle. And I literally just have, you know, a little squirt up each nose it like the beginning of the season and then that's it maybe till like October, November, maybe once in the summer. So um, I'm obviously not really getting benefits of of using it regularly, but I find uh, the nose spray Mm -hmm. in that way. I don't feel like anything darkens like any other freckles and stuff. So I feel, and it's really neat because it's like the most even hand you could ever possibly, you know, have because just glowing everywhere. So I just find that very conservative use of it is very handy, kind of gets the season going. Um, and then you're not having to deal with the darker, darker spots. You know, and I also find that when I used to use it subcutaneously, so by injection, I'm one of those people, like I would get a stain at the injection site. Um, oh, Wow a little while to figure out because I thought 
it was a bruise. I thought I was being clumsy with the needle or something. And it took me, I had three stains on my belly before I figured it out. <laughs> I went digging into the literature and read about this thing. And so the intranasal application really obviously gets rid of that for those people that that might happen for. The one, I think the one warning, you know, the one little flag we have to give about melanotan is that, and we're, we're talking about melanotan too here, is that there's, you know, that in the literature, you will find there are a few incidences where they believe that in people who had previously had melanoma, that somehow using the melanotan brought the melanoma up somehow or caused the expression of melanoma in their bodies. So it's not that it caused it, but the only place they really saw this is in people who had pre-existing melanomas. So if you have a history of melanomas, then this probably isn't a great strategy for you until we know more. You know, I mean, is it possible that by activating the melanocytes, it brought up this the damaged ones more quickly and maybe they would have brewed under the surface for longer? I don't know. And nobody really knows the answer to that. So I just think that's a caveat that before everybody runs out and goes shopping from melan, you just need to keep that in mind. But I love it as an intranasal spray myself. And it actually has really good um, effects for people who have any kind of brain inflammation, very effective mm. chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Like it has all these crazy other benefits, like as an antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory. Like it's it's very broad ranging in its effects, but for today's purposes, it can just help us um, get that color and a bit more protection for the skin, really. Mm -hmm. I um, think it's better than, you know, whatever people are using for bodybuilding. Oh, I guess that's a spray tan, right? Yeah, which is talking probably yeah. toxins and back. Oh yeah, it is. It's so funny. Like, no, I won't go into the sun, but we'll spray tan, which is just aging the skin, like, you know, in underneath the hood, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you'd mentioned earlier some foods and I know in the book you talk about, was it tomatoes and watermelons? Yeah. Colorful food. And I feel like there's even more potent colorful food, like with the red algae and that kind of thing. Yeah. And sea buckthorn even, right? I love Which it. They're not going to have sea buckthorn in a study like that. Nadine has sea buckthorn trees on her property. And last time I was there, I was doing my best imitation of a deer. I said, <laughs> Oh, that's right. Eating right from the branch <laughs> into your fingers because they burst. So you kind of have to eat them right off the tree. <laughs> Sometimes we eat them like frozen in the winter, the ones that are still like hanging on the branch. <laughs> oh yeah. That would be amazing. Kind of like ice wine only better. Yeah. But yeah. So sea buckthorn oil, all of these different oils. What did we, did we leave anything out Nadine? I feel like we covered a lot of ground here. So I guess if we could get around to the idea that the sun is not the enemy, and if we respect the sun and build a, an appropriate relationship over time, just like you would with another person, you don't just jump into bed. We don't want to get burnt by the sun, don't. but it's definitely there for us. And we can't, we don't want to block it out of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. You got to live with it and learning to live with it responsibly, I think is just it's just so important and it's fun and it feels good. So let's like bring that back in. You know, we don't want to deny the things that bring us vitality and life force. Agreed. Agreed. And it's stronger. And also you wrote in the book that also about muscle tone improves with the sun. As yeah. Which is what a great way to work out by lying in the sun. It's my kind of workout. <laughs> You're like, no, I don't need to go to the gym. I'm just going to go hang out in the sun. <laughs> 
not exactly the same, but not the same. But well, red light too improves um, density and muscle mass as well. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Eventually. Yeah. Well, red light because of mitochondrial activation, right? So it's going. So the powerhouses getting the food they need. Yeah. Cause there's like literally so much body that's literally functioning on light information on the information from light, light as a nutrient. Got it. And it's just biology, just science people. It's just, yeah, it's just science. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe um, if we haven't left anything out, why don't we tell people where to find you and what else would we like to share with them? Well, uh, yeah, I'm over. We can find, we can find this over at livinglibations.com. And uh, we've got my books there. Also books are they're like wherever books are sold, like Amazon and all that. And they're both audible versions as well. And on Insta, it's Living Libations Official and the Dean Artemis Official. We also have articles on our website, you know, that will give you some primers on like interacting wisely with the sun in case we've missed anything out here or you want to reread it. And the D-Minder app, you know, just get that on Apple. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really fun app. Yeah, get it on your phone for sure. And guys, the Living Libations newsletter is, it's a gold mine. Like every time I get this newsletter, I'm like, oh my God, it's so full of amazing information. It's not, you know, it's just, I think your blog and your newsletter are just incredible sources of information. So thank you. for. Oh, thank you. Nadine, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you. My pleasure. So good. Looking forward to maybe hanging out in the sun together, not too distant. Yeah, I like that. Let's do it. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.